from inside Lester Burnham's fantasy, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Now, please welcome two men who sued each other for $600 million, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Wow. Corey, to whom do we owe this week's opening? That was written by Jason Croons. We think it rhymes with prunes. Yeah, we weren't we weren't sure how that uh... Jason, tell us tell us if we if Corey if Corey massacred your name's pronunciation. Uh, not my fault, not Mark's. Mark, what are you doing? Um, I'm emailing a girl on uh, JDate. Of course. I really are. am, by the way. Uh, that's well, because you were taking forever with something else, I'm and sorry. I just started emailing a girl. Okay, give me a cookie. Get no, it out I, of the way. Hang on a second. Oh, hell. No, it's a story. Okay. Everything's a story. Yeah, I know. Because we're a podcast. We have yeah. to tell stories. Sure we do. Not just talk about all the Death Wish sequels. Okay. Which we'll talk about later. <laughs> and, and, and Mel Brooks's last decent comedy, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. So, I stayed in last night. You stayed in. And the, here's the reason why I stayed in. Because I made these cookies... And I know whenever I make cookies, mm-hmm. I have to clear the decks because I eat so much leftover batter and so much leftover ganache and so much leftover whatever that I wanted making myself sick yeah. like a 13-year-old coming home from Halloween. So I make these cookies mm-hmm. and I feel like crap because yeah. I just ate nothing but like leftover goopy chocolate because, sure. you know, you got always have leftover something. Is this the story now? Yes, we, okay. we are now officially in the story. We're in the story. I'm yes. just making sure. Yes. Because it didn't feel like a story. It, well, why? Was it, why? It feels well, like a story. Okay. Sure it does. Okay. So, I turn on the Netflix. Because mm-hmm. kids love the Netflix. Sure. And guess what I find on Netflix, which is not on DVD, and we've talked about this. And I don't know if it's new to Netflix or not, but they had it on Netflix streaming. I, I, uh, 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 I don't <laughs> What's know. What's the one? Well, there's like a lot of them. Yeah. What, I, I, What's I, the I, one I, movie that's missing from DVD? <laughs> oh, my <laughs> goodness. That would have to be uh, Aunt, Aunt, Aunt Betsy's uh, <laughs> a Wild Brick Oven Farm. What is <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> wild Brick Oven Farm? Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> okay. What is the one Steven Soderbergh film not on DVD? Go. Kafka. That's true. What's the other one? Uh, King of the Hill. King of the Hill. <laughs> so get this. I see King of the Hill. The one. What's the two. other one? I, I like Kafka. Of course there are two. And, and everyone harasses him about it because he made them back to back. Well, anyway. for some reason, King of the Hill, not on DVD, but King of the Hill on, on Netflix streaming. I didn't realize, like, oh, my God, this is it. This is my Saturday night because I'm lame. It's a great movie. A, I'm sick because I'm great filled movie. with chocolate. And uh, uh, B, I can't believe that King of the Hill is on uh, DVD. Uh, streaming totally holds up terrific film but Wade yes there is because I haven't seen the film in, in years there is somebody in this film that I, I who has since become the yes. most hated actress in Hollywood and she is in this film playing one of Jesse Bradford's uh, sc- uh, you know elementary school friends we are talking about and, and you know what I saw her in a scene I'm like oh my god is that her because I'm putting together the like yeah, how yeah. old is she now could she have been a 12-year-old well, back in 93? Yeah, I mean... But you know what? It just pains me to even look her up so, because she's so, so horrible. Who she is? Who, who it is? Catherine Heigl. 
Oh, that's Catherine right. Heigl, she is in that. That's she, right. She plays the rich kid yeah. who invites Jesse Bradford I to her parents' that. home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm watching the film going, there is Catherine Heigl in the only decent film she's ever been in, although yeah. I did like uh, the Apatow thing. Yeah. But let's, this is a little beyond the Apatow yeah. thing. So if, you, if, if anyone says to you that uh, Catherine Heigl has never done a good film, you can say, no, 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 no. King of the Hill. She did yeah. like a legitimately terrific uh, film. Yeah. King I hear you. All right. All now, over. okay. Now, that's that's only part of the story. Yes. The other part is that the results of the evening was cookies. Okay. Now, th- now here's the thing, Wade. Catherine Heigl inspired you to make cookies. No, no, no. Cat, no. The cookies inspired me to stay home because I made myself sick. Yeah. Eating sugar all day, which made me all right. so, stream King g- of the Hill. Just give me one. Let's get it out of the way. Now, I bought this Martha Stewart book. Oh, dear. And... I figured I'll try one more Martha Stewart cookie recipe because yeah. all these Martha Stewart cookie recipes are lame. They're for yeah. like fat Midwestern housewives going to their kids' birthday parties, like that much sugar. Okay. This one actually does not have a lot of sugar in it. It just happens to not have a lot of sugar in it. Here we go. I'm going to give you, Thank you. this one. Oh, that's lovely. Now, why don't you explain to the good folks what it looks like? It looks it, like a, a chocolate-covered Oreo. It really does. It looks it like does. a chocolate-covered yeah, Oreo. Well, that's okay, the idea. All right. I'll take another one for myself. I'll put the rest away. Now, I, I, this, this, uh, I don't really like this cookie, but you know what? Maybe you like it. It's, uh, it's, it's cookie-like and minty. Oh, it's minty. Oh, good. Yeah. Because the recipe called for only three-quarters of a teaspoon of, um, of uh, peppermint extract, mm-hmm. but I put in a teaspoon and a half because mm-hmm. I felt like it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, what do you think? It's minty. It's nice. <laughs> Can I have some more water, please? <laughs> yes. By the way, it is three degrees cooler than hell. Right you know, now. this is what I love about Southern California this time of year. It's cool, relaxing. The roads are wide open. Just a few people in from out of town. But the people who are in from out of town are really, really nice and very polite and on the roads. And I say this facetiously because this truly is the most hellacious time. And um, I'm just curious. Everybody else who listens to this podcast who lives in North America, why is this entire continent just melting right now? This is insane. I mean, like, Southern California is, is, this is like Dubai. And the whole, and if you look at the weather maps, the entire of North, the, the entire continent of North America, from Southern Mexico all the way up to Saskatchewan and Alaska and the friggin' tundra, it's like 85, 90, 100 degrees. It's ridiculous. This is like, this is like Saudi Arabia all of a sudden. What's going on? Well, the whole I, continent. Well, I didn't. I haven't gone out this weekend because I've been like a dateless wonder and I got mm-hmm. sick Saturday night eating, eating leftover chocolate. So, I have both my air conditioners going. Mm-hmm. So, to me, it's nice and frosty. So, I have no concept of how hot it is outside. So, this morning, about an hour ago, actually, when you came over, uh, I was just saying goodbye to a contractor. I might have some work done in my place. Mm-hmm. Saying goodbye to a contractor. And before that, we had gone up on the roof of my condo building to look at something. And at that moment, I finally realized how freaking hot it is. I mean, it is unbelievably god-awful hot. You need a napkin, don't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank you. Don't stop the recording. I won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cannot believe how hot. It, and by the way, I find the heat miserable. I do not. I'm it's not awful. Hot, I'm not a hot weather person. Luckily, it's not that humid. It is just hot, but it is effing hot. Maybe it's hot where you are. You know what? If it's hot where you are, tell us at gods at digigods.com. Honestly, it's unbelievable. All right. So we have a Vox box. We'll do later in the show. Might even get to some listener mail stuff. Mark's getting me a napkin because I have chocolate all over my fingers now. 
So, some, some British stuff just to start off. An interesting little three-disc set from uh, BFS is called At Home with the Georgians. And uh, this is one of those uh, British television deals from, like, the late 90s where you have uh, some kind of professorial person, some British extra, uh, uh, expert in something, who takes you on a tour of history, costumes, clothing, manners, you name it. In this case, it is uh, Professor Amanda Vickery. How's that for a British name? And uh, all it is is uh, really t- kind of a, a tour of the Georgian era, which would be the 18th century. And uh, it's, uh, it's just kind of a, a nice walk through, I don't know, like a, a television theme park of all of the wonderful things that constituted the Georgian era. It's called At Home with the Georgians, and uh, it's fine. It's, you know, it's, it's very BBC, very British, very, uh, very appropriate to the, uh, the Olympics, which are uh, ending today. And then we also have the Foresight Saga Collection from Acorn, five discs. Uh, you know, the, uh, the whole Foresight Saga, Forsyth Saga, T-H-T-E, however you want to spell it. Um, this, is, uh, this is really good stuff. This is uh, you know, basically going to get a little bit of traction just because of, geez, you are typing like a lunatic. Well, you know what, this girl, I, I, I called this girl on J-Date, right? Yeah. By the way, this is very exciting stuff. Oh, dear. And so she didn't call me back. So I'm like, all right, just another flaky internet girl. Sure. She just emailed me after like five days after, Mm -hmm. actually probably six days after I called her. She emails me back. And it's like, in the time it took you to email me back on J-Date, you're going to return my call. So in the email, she says, I had a very intense week, and I'll tell you why I didn't call you back when we talk. I'm leaving for New York tomorrow, and I'll call you while I'm there or when I return. Okay. And I'm emailing him back, and I'm saying, all right, look, I'm not saying this, but the spirit of the email is, sure. ball's in your court, I can chase after you, I called you, I put it out there, you say you'll call me back, All right. let's see if you're a flaky internet girl, or you are true to your word. Good for you. That's what I am typing. There you go. I am madly typing. Not all typing right. madly, madly typing. Well, the Foresight Saga is from uh, 2002 and three, two different series, and, uh, or, you know, two seasons, they call them series in the UK, of course. And uh, it's basically the story of a family across uh, many, many uh, years from the, uh, the late Victorian era into the 1920s. has a certain uh, kind of early precursor feel to Downton Abbey. And uh, some great performances here. Rupert Graves is always great. Ian Gruffitt is always great. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of really good performances here. So, um, you know, not, not certainly Downton Abbey by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, it's quite good and uh, very enjoyable. And then we also have Series 3 of Garrow's Law, which, uh, you know, uh, has a, a very respectable following as well. The, I, I, I have to say I'm not uh, one of the biggest fans of this thing. I, uh, I like uh, Rupert Graves in this as well. He's a little older, a little more grizzled, but, uh, you know, Rupert Graves has had an interesting career. He's never, he never really took off like he should have, you know that? Rupert Graves? Yeah. I like him. Well, this show, of course, is uh, is all about the the great barrister William Garrow, who's played by Andrew Buchan, um, and uh, it's uh, you know eighteenth uh, century period show all about the the law. It's like uh, I don't know Law and Order in the eighteenth century kind of. And then lastly, we have a remarkable story done in uh, above average fashion, I would say. Uh, it's called the Sinking of the Laconia. And uh, I was not familiar with this story. This is a World War II era story. And there, of course, if you've been watching the Olympics, you've been watching uh, 
they, you know, they resurrect a lot of these stories as uh, little interludes during the Olympics to tell you about British history, all kinds of stuff that nobody ever had any idea about. Anyway, this is about an event in 1942 when a, uh, a U-boat torpedoed the RMS Laconia, and uh, which was a passenger ship. So uh, it's uh, you know it's a rousing story. It's just done in very British television fashion, which can be very high quality. In this case, it's not mind-boggling. It's very well done, but somehow emotionally, it just I just felt like I was watching. Um, I don't know. It had a Winds of War kind of feel to it in some respects. Brian Cox is is very very good in it, but he's he's good in everything. You know, so, Brian Cox is in uh, the campaign, which by the way is funny. Thank you. Good it's, to know. It, it, well, Bri- I skipped it. Well, Brian Cox, the, the campaign does not seem like a very Brian Coxian film, but he is in it, and he is funny in it because the film is funny. I it's guess. not a great political satire by any stretch of the imagination, but it's funny. Ah, well. It made me laugh. Yeah, so Something makes you laugh, makes you laugh. What can I say? All right, so let's get into We'll blow through some regular television and then get into uh, movies. And boy, do we have some interesting movies this week. Really good movies. Not new movies per se, but a lot of you know ca- uh, catalog stuff. Really interesting catalog stuff. Oh wait! So uh, Children's Hospital, the complete third season. Uh, we've talked about this before. It's Adult Swim. A lot of you love it. I uh, kind of don't get it, but uh, there it is. It uh, it's still on, and uh, there's another season. The uh, DVD set includes web promos, outtakes, unaired scenes, bloopers, and uh, still feels kind of creepy to me. Know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. And then uh, Grimm, season one on Blu-ray. I think this is an absolutely idiotic show, but it is starting again, and they, of course, have to get that last season out there. Uh, There's way too much CGI on television these days. I will say this. I find this uh, less offensive than that Once Upon a Time, which just confuses the daylights out of me, because if you blink while you're watching that show, you lose track of what's in the fantasy land and what's in in reality and who's who and who's doubling what and so forth. Uh, anyway, this is uh, the whole idea here is to sort of bring the world of Grimm's fairy, t- fairy tales into a modern day environment and turn it into a kind of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer type show. And uh, 22 episodes, it, uh, you know, the whole idea of these Grimm's, which are, you know, demons, demon creatures, mythical demon creatures that live in the real world, I, you know. I don't know. It's just still all of this stuff still feels like we're we're just taking uh, the Night Stalker and just refashioning it. Well, it's it's new thing. It just it it still, but it still feels like it fits that template. It's just all Night Stalkery. Well, because everything becomes everything sort of cycles in and out of fashion. You know, with vampires and now with zombies. And I don't and I don't like the CGI on this show. It feels really really cheesy and hasty, and it doesn't feel like. It's just, it's, it's not good. But people like it, so what, who am I to say? Anyway, big fat Blu-ray set. Looks fabulous. Comes with ultraviolet. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's also an interactive Grim Guide as part of the Blu-ray. Has some collectible cards. Go to town. What do, I want? What do you want? Wait, I'm very surprised that uh, CBS keeps releasing the Gunsmoke uh, DVDs. <laughs> oh, it's going to go on for until, well, until like... we're like 75. Hang on. <coughs> Don't stop the recording. We're such a professional show. <laughs> If you want us to be more professional, email us at gotsdigigods.com. <laughs> Maybe it'll happen. Um, yeah, Gunsmoke. What, what season is uh, that This now? is season six, volume one. You know, uh, yes. the, the thing is that because they're – and, you know, Wade and I complain about this all the time. But, I, but with Gunsmoke, it's like there's like 20 seasons of Gunsmoke. So now they're going to literally make 20 seasons of Gunsmoke into 40 DVD releases. 
Yeah, which seem if to come they out, release them all in volumes per season, and they're coming out on average about two per year. So that's like twenty years it's going to take. I, I don't know. I don't know. Somebody has to have sort of thought this through, don't you think? Someone has to have said, you know what? There's twenty seasons. If we, so if we if release we, two, put two, the three, carry the five. In forty means, years, this will be. <laughs> that means that that uh, let's see. So long after DVD is uh, is obsolete and people are using them for coasters and uh, for for clay pigeons, we will still be releasing seasons of Gunsmoke. That what is do correct. They th- what do they just come on, just release the whole series, one box set. Just do it. I don't understand. But uh, anyway, this is one of the better seasons from what I remember. Uh, this had Dennis Weaver in it, and that's cool. And, uh, you know, obviously James Arnest still there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, look, I'm surprised they're even releasing this at all. Yeah. But it is an historically significant show, and there were lots of them. Uh, so they're going for it. Uh, season six, there are no extras on this. Don't expect um, any extras on these. No. Ever. Never. Never. No, because nobody's alive anymore. They just aren't. They're gone. Uh, we've got a thing here called Strike Back, Season 1. This is a Cinemax series, and uh, I uh, am not familiar with this because I didn't even realize Cinemax was still in business. I, I know. Uh, you know, Cinemax is still around. Can you believe that? They are still around. It's so weird. Cinemax used to be where uh, kind of sleazy, low-budget, softcore... Red Shoe Diaries. Red Shoe Diaries. Wasn't Red Shoe Diaries on uh, Cinemax? Yeah, all those little nudie things. It's like Cinemax was the channel where if you were a subscriber and you turned on at about 11 or 12 at night, around midnight, you were bound to see Shannon Tweed in something. Naked. Is it some Zalman King thing? Some Zalman King thing. If you, if even that, that's like you know very low, not not even that high quality. It'd be like some you know some playmate would be showering and some third rate really bad actor would be like looking through the window, and there and then that that's the plot of the movie. It's all 85 minutes of it, just peeping Tom of some kind. Uh, but anyway, this is, um, this is an action series about two guys from a, uh, like a top-secret government spy organization known as Section 20. And uh, one of them's British, one of them's U.S. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's just a really high-octane action series. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I wouldn't say it's great. It's more well-done than it is well-written. But it's got some good actors in it, and um, uh, you know it may have it may have a future. It's a it's a pretty whopping Blu-ray set, and uh, the Blu-ray transfer is really nice. I mean, it's very very well done. So even if the if you have problems with the execution of the show, uh, it looks great, and uh, the sound is <laughs> it's a it's a pretty well mixed show. You know, it's really resonant and and surround is is a nice effect. So kind of like Parenthood. Good. Parenthood. Uh, oh, the the series. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, a lot of action in that high octane it, gunfire. It's you know those explosions. Those kids' birthday parties on this show are really just intense. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not into the show because I'm not a parent, but um, people seem to like it. I don't know how this thing has managed three seasons and it has a new season premiering soon, but uh, people dig it. Yeah, I think they dig it in that mm. kind of omnibus way where there's so many Did you different say in that vomitous way, omnibus way, oh omnibus, where there's so many different stories and yeah. so many different people that you'll hit on something that resonates with you. I like it in a vomitous way, actually. I actually I don't know that things could be liked in a vomitous way. I think they could yeah. maybe be disliked in a vomitous okay. way. Anyway, uh, you know Craig T. Nelson is in it and uh, uh, Bonnie Bedelia. You know Bonnie Bedelia supposedly in the new uh, Die Hard film. Yeah. Did you know that? Because mm-hmm. Bonnie Bedelia played... I know. Uh, she hasn't been in it since the first. That's right. So that'd be awesome. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Lauren Graham is also in this, and uh, Dak Shepard is also in this. So anyway, I'm not a big fan of the show. People seem to like it. Uh, you know, this to me, this is a DVR show. This is not a buy-the-DVD show. I'm sorry. I'm with you. There's a couple special features in here, but whatever. Uh, 
You know, I love the rookies, Mark. Love the rookies. The rookies was a great show. This is the second season of the rookies, uh, featuring that fantastic, wonderful, absolutely incredibly adorable Kate Jackson before she went on to Charlie's Angels. This was also produced by Aaron Spelling. This was one of his uh, early big uh, TV hits when he was producing stuff with Leonard Goldberg. Remember, that was the era when they did the rookies and Starsky and Hutch and Love Boat and Fantasy Island. Like I, used to, every... I used to love those shows. I, I, I was not a big Fantasy Island guy, but they I loved the, all the other ones. They were the kings of TV in, the, in that part of the 70s. It was just amazing. Um, anyway, this is you know basically about rookies in the uh, the Southern California Police Department. I don't know why they didn't just call it the LAPD. Was it because they didn't want to confuse it with Adam Twelve at the time? Ooh, that could be it. It could have been. Anyway, not confuse it. They didn't want to make it's it seem just, like they were treading on the same. I guess, but it's just territory. it was just silly. It was just silly. Anyway, it was, you know it was clearly like Starsky and Hutch were members of the Metro Police Department. Yeah. Come on, give me a break. You're all shooting in LA. You're all LAPD. Just, no, well, just, no, but but if you say Metro, it could be any city. Yeah, when they're driving past the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion and then come on, give me a break. It was all L.A. We know that. So anyway, uh, it's a, you know this is a really good show. A lot of uh, a lot of really good writing on this show. I, I got to tell you, the it, it annoyed me somewhat at a certain point when they syndicated this show. They did something that I've never seen done on any other show. In syndication, they took hour long episodes and they cut them down to half hours so they could fit them into half hour slots for syndication in various markets. And it was the worst thing ever. I mean, I remember I watched this show first run in 73, 74 when I was, you know, just a young pup and, and really kind of just getting my sea legs as far as violent television. And um, I'm just learning to enjoy violent just learning, television. Just learning to enjoy, you know, seeing punks beat up and, and, uh, and junkies and hookers really uh, having their faces slammed into the pavement, and, which is always good for, for a child to experience. And, uh, you know, then suddenly in syndication, all these great shows are suddenly a half an hour. And the pacing is ridiculously off. I mean, it's amazing how elliptical it got. I just can't believe anybody even allowed that to happen at one point. But uh, here we're back to the uh, proper length. This is from Shout Factory via Sony. And uh, you get the full 23 episodes from the second season, 73, 74. And they are great. L- really. Michael Ontkeen just always forgot what a... What a terrific actor he was. And George Stanford Brown, of course, always great. And uh, Gerald S. O'Loughlin. And, of course, Kate Jackson. Really cool. Oh, Wade, on uh, DVD, four DVDs is Ghost Hunter Season 7, Part 1. Mm. This season, uh, the series has lasted uh, over seven seasons. I know. That is very strange. Very strange. People like this show, I guess. It's probably cheap. It's yeah. on Sci-Fi Channel. It's probably Probably a cheap show to license. Yeah, whatever. Why not? Anyway, it's about these uh, two guys. One looks like um, one looks like uh, Vic Mackey from uh, Vic you know, Tabak. No, Vic Mackey from uh, The Shield. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like bald and looks all badass. And Vic everything. Tabak was bald. Yeah. Vic Tabak died. I know. How dare you make fun yeah. of him? Anyway, uh, so he, was uh, Mel. he uh, had Mel's diner. He did. He did. He was also in a piece of the action. <laughs> oh, God help us all. all right, so yeah. anyway, uh, ghost hunters, are, are these guys really uh, hunting ghosts? I know a lot of uh, people don't like the show because they're skeptical of what it is they do, but people seem to like it because, uh, you know, it's basically fun and dramatic and uh, it's kind of all spooky and cool. Anyway, in this one, they, uh, they visit uh, Pennsylvania Insane Asylum and a hotel and, uh, you know, as long as these guys continue to get work, although I think they're plumbers during the day, but as long as they continue to get work at night, uh, they will continue to be able to have a TV show. That's what I say. Although, you know, this show never really kind of got any traction. Like, do you care about the Ghost Hunters? Not really. Like, does this show get any traction? No. People talk about this show? No. These guys, are they getting famous? Are they showing up on talk shows? Are they going anywhere? I think if they Seven actually... Seven seasons of what? Of nothing? No, but you know what? The same thing happened to the Ghostbusters. Same thing happened, you Ghostbusters know? Ghostbusters 3, it's coming. I know. Without Sad. Bill Murray. 
Oh, gee, that that's a that's a great idea. Well, I think Dan Aykroyd's tired <laughs> of waiting. Well, just then don't do it. Do something else. Well, it's Dan Aykroyd. Dan oh, Aykroyd's gosh. in. Uh, Dan Aykroyd is in commu- is in uh, uh, the campaign. That's great. Dan Aykroyd and John Lithgow play the uh, the the. the uh, campaign the managers, Koch brothers, the Koch brothers, Coke. the, the really? you know the the right wing oh, bankrolling people. I just can't <laughs> believe that's going to really make much money. Uh, Vegas third season volume two. We love the Dantana driving his car into his living room. Very cool. And uh, no extras here, just some uh, some promos, the original TV promos. But this is another Aaron Spelling hit from that uh, fantastic '70s era. And uh, I, you know, I, again, wish they'd put the the whole seasons out and not just do this volume one, volume two stuff. It's still a, a real problem over there. You got to stop doing this. They're Paramount, but um, maybe it's CBS, somebody's fault between Paramount and CBS. But uh, it's a terrific show. A lot of great, a uh, lot of great uh, cameos from Vegas personalities. A lot of great scenery from Vegas, and uh, gotta love that '57 Thunderbird. It's just the coolest car in television history. No offense meant to uh, Magnum's uh, Ferrari or to the, uh, the Miami Vice Ferrari or the Starsky and Hutch's Torino, but I still think that Thunderbird is the coolest thing ever. Is the Thunderbird even cooler than the car from Knight Rider? The car from Knight Rider was a Trans Am, and it it it, 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 it it's just lame. What? It talked to you and everything. Yeah, William Daniels talked to you and all that. <laughs> William Daniels talked to you. music. No. Dexter season uh, six. This thing premiered uh, last October, and uh, it's finally coming out on uh, Blu-ray. I don't. Uh, I think this show is kind of losing its steam. I think people dug it for a while, and now I feel like it's kind of needs to be done already. Good cast, though. You know, there's a lot of good uh, people on this show. You know, Edward James Almost is on this show. Colin Hanks, who was on um, Stupid for Movies, our friend of Stupid for Movies, is on the is on this season. Most Deaf. Is introduced. I like Most Def a lot. I think uh, I don't. He's got know. a new name, by the way. He's I, not Most Def anymore. I, He's something else. Thank God. Well, what, can he just be his name? No, it's it's not his name. Dante Dante Smith is no, his real he, name. Yeah, but that's not his new name. Keep doing. it. I'll tell you what his new name is. Hold on. You gotta be kidding. Is it like, like Puff Diddy or something or Puff Daddy? Will you please stop it. Anyway, uh, I really would like this show to end now because I feel like it's sort of it's peaked. It is it, it's pop culture uh, influence and uh, its uh, water cooler ability is over. It needs to go away. But the sixth season is now available on uh, Blu-ray. And uh, you know what? If you like the other five seasons, you might as well get this one. Otherwise, uh, I've lost interest in the show. Not that season six is particularly bad. Just I've kind of lost interest in it. I think he's known as Yasin Bey now. Oh, God. <laughs> um, Melrose okay, Pl- okay, Cat Stevens, whatever you say. <laughs> Melrose Plays, the final season, okay, volume Cassius four. Clay. Thank you. Uh, Melrose Plays, the final season, volumes one and two, both coming out at the same time. Finally, Paramount CBS, they, they, they do it right this time. But why not put it in just one release? Why even have the separate volumes? Uh, this show is being released effectively to tell you how bad the more recent Melrose Place is by comparison, which is extraordinary because this was already bad by its own era. And another Aaron Spelling show from a different era of spelling. And uh, really all this tells me is that Heather Locklear does not age. That's the greatest lesson that I get from watching this. Otherwise, no, it's just ages. cheesy soap opera. She ages. If, if 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 you saw her now, if you saw her naked, you'd, you'd run screaming. <laughs> I, I doubt it. Pamela Anderson too. You'd run screaming. I, I doubt guarantee. It. Yeah, probably. You'd there. run screaming. Yeah, but not Heather Locklear. Uh, Community season three is a uh, it's a controversial show because um, critics seem to like it, audiences didn't like it that much. It definitely has that kind of wild, out there, you know, culty sort of feel to it. 
Also, Chevy Chase hates the show so much he left horrible voicemail messages on the showrunner's answering machine. That that was hilarious. But uh, season three, season three is now out on uh, DVD. A new season premieres in the fall. Uh, I find this show to be kind of funny. I can't say that I've watched every episode because I haven't, but uh, it's got a bunch of special features which are uncensored, whatever that means. Uh, Deleted scenes are funny. Uh, gag really you know what it's too bad about Chevy Chase because you know Chevy Chase yeah he's kind of become like a like a cranky unlikable older fellow yeah but Chevy Chase in, in the his day, heyday he was the man he was the man he was the man he was Fletch yep he was in Caddyshack he was awesome real tomato ketchup ad <laughs> he uh, was the best I love vacation anyway Joel McHale's in this too and also uh, Ken Jong, who's so funny in the uh, uh, Hangover films so this show actually is kind of funny but um uh, I wish more people would watch it only because, you know, I think TV needs more quirky cable cable quality stuff. At least shows that go to that cable length yep. of quirkiness. Yep. So the fact that it's out there on a network I think yep. is a good thing. It should be supported. Totally. So there's community. And a bunch of Lifetime movies are out in f- uh, two different collections. There's one called Surviving High School, which includes four different Lifetime original movies about surviving high school. Uh, they include Odd Girl Out, Augusta Gone, The Perfect Teacher, and For One Night. Uh, you know what? All of these are just c- standard Lifetime kind of you know cheesy uh, middle-aged you know, housewife sitting alone at home looking for something to just kind of uh, resurrect their high school fantasies or something. Uh, they're n- they're not all that good, not that impressive. Um, but I guess for a certain audience, they'll fit the bill. More impressive, marginally, is the Jody Picou collection, or Picoult, or Picoult, or however you pronounce it, P-I-C-O-U-L-T. Never read any of her novels, don't care to. But we got three films here uh, based on her novels, Salem Falls, Plain Truth, and The Pact, uh, which actually... Sort of work because they have some good casting in them. Uh, Salem Falls stars James Vanderbeek. That's by far the weakest. But uh, you know what? Mariska Hargitay in The Plain Truth and um, Megan Mullally in The Pact. Both terrific. Really good actresses. Stepping a little bit outside their TV persona to uh, do these movies. And they really do elevate the material. So uh, I'll say that Jody P. Colt's collection, yeah, marginally recommended. Uh, Surviving High School, you can stay away. Speaking of stay away, stay away from uh, these two from uh, the good folks at uh, E1. Terrible. Uh, One of the Dead is a uh, kind of a zombie. Oh, I get it. One of the Dead. Mm -hmm. One, because it rhymes with Dawn. It's awesome. I get it. One. Totally awesome. So One of the Dead is a uh, a zombie film, and it's kind of low budget, and it uh, doesn't pretend it's anything but low budget, but it's, uh, you know, it's supposed to be kind of funny and cheesy, and there is some political commentary there, a little weak, but there is some political subtext in there. Like, you know, the zombies are, you know, like the zombies are dissidents, you know, almost like a, it's the, you know, why am I talking about this? Movie's I don't terrible. know, but I get it. It's one of the dead because it sounds like Dawn of the exactly. Dead. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, there great. you go. That's crap. <laughs> All right. Also is a girl. I'm just letting you know this exists because I would never recommend it. Girls Gone Dead. Oh, I get it. It's like Girls Gone Wild, but Girls Gone Dead. Yes. Well, well, here's the. um, That's clever. Let me tell you about the cast of Girls Gone Dead. Linnea Quigley. Oh, my gosh. Linnea Quigley was. Are you serious? Linnea Quigley's in this? She was. uh, Scream Queen. The original Scream Queen. She was a big deal in the 80s. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Ron Jeremy's in this. Yeah, I don't, don't know who that is. And. And a few Howard Stern fans, Beetlejuice is in this. 
Beetlejuice is just a crazy looking African American guy, and he's on the Howard Stern show a lot. He's in this too, and uh, it's about a bunch of people who do something, and there's a bunch of uh, something. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> Do you really want me to talk about this? Uh, not really. It's Linnea Quigley. That's fascinating. She hasn't aged either. She looks fabulous. Or is that even Linnea Quigley on the box? That is not Linnea Quigley on the box. No? No. How old is she now? Linnea Quigley? Yeah. Would you like me to find out? Yeah, yeah I'm just I'm curious. Find out. <laughs> Take a guess. Girls gone dead. I don't know, 50? Uh, who knows? Uh, just when you thought it was safe to go topless. Oh, my gosh. Linnea Quigley is uh, 54 years old. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. How, how old is Mamie Van Doren, by the way? Mamie Van Doren? Yeah. Okay. I will look that up. Just, I'm just curious. Mamie Van Doren, <laughs> by the way, who was born who's still, jo- who's, Joan Lucille Olander. Yeah, by the way, who still goes around town showing up at parties wearing her, you know, quadruple D chest inside of, like, fishnet tops. And uh, they don't stick out so much as hang down now. But what well, th- what's her? You should be wearing moo's <laughs> if you're 81 years old. <laughs> oh, that's the best. Okay. Anyway, uh, a couple of we're, we're getting into some movies now. Going to roll through these. Uh, a couple of uh, new movies out that I I don't know that I can really recommend either of them. One is uh, Kill List, which is a British independent film by Ben Wheatley. Uh, it you know. This could have been so good, and a lot of people like this. A lot of people thought this was a really cool kind of uh, low-budget psychological thriller horror thing, but it, 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 it ultimately just completely disintegrates into, into cliches and stereotypes and all that junk that you've seen a million times before in Shelley Winters movies and, and, you know, like Wicker Man madness and all kinds of stuff. It, you know, it's essentially about um, a, uh, a hitman and his partner – who take a very strange assignment that gets darker and darker and darker with all these people they're supposed to kill, and it winds up becoming just another one of those stupid, like, you know, ridiculous kind of cult. It becomes the Wicker Man by the end, for crying out loud. It's just absurd. Now, just is ridiculous. it the... Uh is it the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man? It's, it's you know, the what? Other it, it wishes the, the other Wicker Man. And then this thing, Assassin's Bullet. Uh, now, Assassin's Bullet is a movie that was released theatrically 10 days ago, Mark. This was in theaters 10 days ago because I talked about this on Film Week 10 days ago. So essentially, its theatrical release was a lost leader for the DVD and Blu-ray. It's unbelievable. This, I, I Literally, I talked about this 10 days ago. Now, this, is, this is ridiculous, okay, wait, and, it's, and it's, now, it's now out on Blu-ray. Wait, can I, uh, this can is a Blu-ray DVD combo pack, yes. Can I ask you something? Yeah. You're a movie theater. Yes. What makes you, as the booker at this movie theater, the person in charge of deciding... What movies you would you think your audience, your constituents, your paint customers would want to see? What would make you think that they'd want to go see Assassin's Bullet? I think the reason I would book it would be because somebody four-walled the theater. That's why. Oh, really? So, you think so it's major money. I think they're four-walled, wow. yeah. So anyway, this is from ARC Entertainment. I, you know, look, By I the want... way, for those who don't know, four-walling means that essentially the distributor bought out the theater. Yeah. You they buy rent out. the theater. That's it. 
look, I, I like ARC Entertainment. I wish I could say nicer things about this. But honestly, this is just an excuse for all these people to get a vacation to Bulgaria, which is where they shot this movie. Christian Slater plays a, uh, a federal agent who's stationed in Bulgaria. Um, Donald Sutherland plays the, uh, the guy who runs the embassy, the ambassador or whatever. It's not really clear. I didn't pay attention. Timothy Spall is some psychologist who, like who meets Christian Slater in strip clubs and lectures him on his life. And uh, the woman who came up with the story is some Bulgarian actress named Elika Portnoy, and she's like uh, somebody with a personality disorder who's, you know, she's, she splits herself three different ways, and sometimes she's a, an exotic dancer, and sometimes she's killing people wearing bad wigs left over from Brian De Palma movies. I don't really understand where any of this went. I, it makes no sense. It's just an ordeal to sit through. It's a horrible movie directed by Isaac Florentine, whose claim to fame is that he is the director of Undisputed 2 and Undisputed 3. At least that's what they would have you believe uh, in the marketing that is printed on the box. The truth is he has directed an awful lot of Power Rangers on television, and uh, his, his style of directing has not evolved. I'm just saying that. You know, you got to start somewhere, Wade. No, you don't start with Power Rangers. You, you, you do if you got a mortgage to pay. <laughs> well, a mortgage in Bulgaria, maybe. Uh, you know, we, we got some uh, stuff from the MGM library here, which we'll make mention of very quickly. I, I will let Mark focus on the Death Wish movies. I'm going to talk about the two Chuck Norris movies. The only reason I think these are being released right about now is to kind of try to get a little bit of traction out of The Expendables, since people are all focused on old action stars. I hated Chuck, that movie. Chuck Norris is in The Expendables 2, along with Jean-Claude Van Damme, which I think is uh, interesting. Interesting move. Anyway, uh, these two Chuck Norris movies, not among my favorites, but uh, they do have a these are kind of when I think Chuck's movies started to, to wane a bit. Uh, Code of Silence, uh, not great. It's, you know, it's al- this is almost when he's trying to become more of an action guy than a martial arts guy. I like Chuck Norris when he's doing flying kicks. Uh, and here he's a Chicago cop, and he's kind of rogue, and you know, you've got, uh, well, what can I tell you? You've got Henry Silva in this, and when Henry Silva shows up, he's a bad guy because he has pockmarks. And uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid, you know, it's, it's campy enough to be a little bit entertaining. And the one thing about Lone Wolf McQuaid is that it featured what was at the time a legendary mano a mano between uh, David Carradine and Chuck Norris. And David Carradine, of course, not a martial artist, despite having starred on Kung Fu, but still had a, a, you know, a, a following. So for a lot of people, this was kind of like halfway towards a rematch between uh, Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee. It's like, if you can't get Bruce Lee, if he's dead, let's get David Carradine. So there's a, there's a certain kitsch factor to this. Uh, both of these are on Blu-ray. They are both very, very mediocre Blu-ray transfers, which means they're just a nick better than the DVD, but uh, I, can't, I can't say that they really look that good. Wait, let's talk about uh, Death Wish. Ah, oh, jeez. Now, the original Death Wish... Which is not part of these. Which I like a lot, from 1974, uh, is a terrific film. It's a film that uh, came out, again, in 1974, back when uh, New York was... In fact, I was, uh, I, was, I was living in New York at the time. That's when I was a kid. And uh, my parents wouldn't let me go into the city because the city was uh, a big, uh, horrible, disgusting train wreck. And it was about to go bankrupt. And uh, New York was an unbelievable, porn-ridden cesspool. And that's why the movie worked at the time. And it was a big hit. Unfortunately, it uh, spawned many sequels, all of which were equally terrible. The only thing in common other than a basic storyline they had was Charles Bronson and uh, director Michael Winner. Michael Winner pretty much did all these uh, Death Wish sequels 
and uh, which is too bad because Michael Winter he did a couple good films. I mean, he he did the original yeah, the Mechanic. Did, he did a few. He did a few. I like the Mechanic, the original Mechanic. I'll even uh, I'll, I'll I'll even give a shout out to Juan Tantan, the dog who saved Hollywood. Oh yeah. Oh my, yeah, that baby. Was, that was Michael Winter. Anyway, all these uh, uh, all these Death Wish sequels are from Canon. Now Canon was one of the gr- late great low rent production companies of the eighties, and they were responsible for. All those horrible, you know, you know, B-level action films, they all came from canon. And it would make a lot of sense that canon would be responsible for Death Wish 2, which um, came out in 1982. It's funny because at the end of Death Wish, Paul Kersey is driven out of New York and goes to Chicago. That's right. Now, of course, at the beginning of Death, at the beginning of Death Wish 2, now, it, all right, end of Death Wish... He's getting off the train sure. in Chicago. Death Wish 2, he is suddenly in Los Angeles, probably because it's too expensive to shoot in Chicago. <laughs> he winds up in Los Angeles, where it's cheaper oh, to shoot. Gosh. At least it was cheaper to shoot there in 1982. <laughs> so essentially, it's the same story uh, in Death Wish 2. And it's funny, because in Death Wish 3, he goes uh, back to New York, visit a buddy, and uh, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. His body is brutally attacked. Everywhere Paul Kersey goes, death follows. Isn't that amazing? It, you know what? If, if somebody said to me, if I was in a bar, at a restaurant, or at a party, and, and someone wants to introduce me to Paul Kersey, I'd run screaming. Because the moment you know Paul Kersey, you're dead. And Death Wish 3, which, you know what, uh, Charles Bronson at this point had become uh, uh, much... Actually, you know what? Death Wish 4 was directed by um, uh, J. Lee Thompson. But um, Death Wish 4, the crackdown, at this point... Charles Bronson is just getting old, and all these movies have just become worse and worse and worse. This one is about rival drug gangs, yet it's no better. It's the same old thing, cleaning up the streets. And by Death Wish 4, the original Death Wish, which was a good film, has receded so far into the past, you don't, the, the, whole, the whole franchise has basically been sullied. Yeah. By these horrible sequels, yeah. So, of Death Wish two, three, and four, I would buy none of them, <laughs> and I would save your money for a Death Wish, uh, some eventual Death Wish Blu-ray. I think there'll be a Death Wish Blu-ray someday. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I hope there will be because the, the Death Wish is a good film. That's a great. I film. mean that that film, at least tried to be oh <gasps> not yet not yet oh, but, uh, i know but, uh, i know not yet just, i know we're gonna we're finishing to, <laughs> we're finishing talking if, if, if i if i rub this all over my body will you give it to me because uh, you won't want it back I, I don't think i'll ever want to know you again oh that's really really that's a good thing this is not a video show uh this is my favorite film of his where we're still talking about the expendables you like moonlight kingdom well we're not gonna get oh that. i love See? moonlight kingdom it's uh, so good we're still talking about the expendables. Moonrise kingdom might be the best film i've seen this year i mean what 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 better film have you seen this year oh i don't know uh avengers i was gonna say battleship uh john carter uh as long as we're on the week of the expendables 2 uh the very smart people over at lionsgate said hey let's capitalize on that so they released a three film collector set stallone on Blu-ray, which includes Rambo First Blood, Copland, and Lockup. I don't know what possessed them to just throw these three films together because they don't belong together. And if you're a Stallone fan, you probably go, First Blood, good movie. Copland, interesting, uh, imperfect. Lockup, ew. And uh, Lockup's a really bad movie. 
So why did they just throw it on here? I don't know. There's no rhyme or reason to this. Um, but you know, if you want, if you have Rambo First Blood, you ought to have the other Rambo films in there at least. It's just a, it's a strange trio of movies to put in. So anyway, uh, Copland, of course, I think is probably the most interesting of any of them. Well directed by James Mangold. This was Stallone's attempt to be a serious actor again. Harvey Keitel and a bunch I of other people. I do like that film. I do like Copland, and I like Stallone in it. Yeah, I do too. It's a, it's it's got some good stuff. It's one of the last decent performances Janine Garofalo gave. So, uh, anyway, um, yeah, so there, you know, that's out there as well on Blu-ray, um, but most people already have uh, Copland on Blu-ray or have Rambo First Blood on Blu-ray, uh, which, by the way, is actually just called First Blood. It only got called Rambo First Blood when, uh, Ra- you know, years after Rambo 2 came out. It was kind of like, you know, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. No, it's Star Wars. You know, we change these titles after the fact when sequels have obliged us to. Silly. Carry on. Now you may get orgasmic. <gasps> the Royal Tenenbaums is on Blu-ray, and you should buy it right now. In fact, stop listening to this podcast. Press pause. Go to Amazon.com or wherever you buy your Blu-rays from and go buy this. I love this film. And, uh, again, as Way was saying, I mean, I this was my favorite, uh, uh, what's-his-name film? <laughs> Wes Anderson. <laughs> But I love Moonrise Kingdom so much. I just think that's a great film. That's such a terrific film. Anyway, this Blu-ray of uh, Royal Tenenbaums looks fantastic. This is a uh, this is a Blu-ray transfer supervised by Anderson, and it's uh, created in 2K, and it looks great. Lots of uh, lots of yellows and browns in this thing. Very clear, just a little bit of grain. But again, it was shot that way. I think it looks fantastic. Great lush colors. The uh, soundtrack is uh, the music is uh, the, uh, the, you know, the audio is fine. Five point one, looking good. DTS like that too. Uh, there's a whole bunch of um, uh, special features on this thing, including interviews, uh, deleted scenes. Uh, there's a scrapbook thing. There's it's behind, loaded. The, behind the scenes with the filmmaker. It's there's a couple of trailers. There's a commentary with Anderson that was recorded for the original Criterion in two thousand two. And uh, I think this thing is great. I love this film. This is, uh, of course, stars. Uh, it's got a great cast: Ben Stiller, Gene Hackman, my all-time favorite actor, and uh, one of those uh, Wilson kids who uh, <laughs> can't keep track of them. And uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Danny Glover, uh, Bill Murray's in this, of course. And uh, I just love this movie. I love this Blu-ray. Go buy it right now. Uh, <gasps> no, no. Stop. Oh, Just, uh, seriously! Me, I want to look at. 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 I look at. I stared at. You watch. I, I. I. They only sent one, so you looked at it, and I, I didn't look at it. I know. Oh, Wade, Jaws. I, I know. I kept. Uh, I kept a few of these back from you, so you're. You're. you're, uh, you're yeah. You, you, there's another one coming. You know what's amazing about about Jaws you, you, is that I'm, I'm I'm escalating this. I'm doing this on purpose to torment you. I don't know, you. man. You know, the thing with oh, Jaws. Oh, you have no idea. Really? You have no idea what's coming next. Now, here's the thing with Jaws: is that Jaws. This is finally on Blu-ray, by the way. This is what Mark is flipping out. I pulled out the Jaws, one, the, the Universal 100th Anniversary Series release. It's now on Blu-ray, and uh, it's gorgeous, man. You know, it is really gorgeous. They, they, uh, they, a lot of these Universal 100th Anniversary releases... I like releases, these. They're good. Some of them are, and some of them aren't. Most of, them, most of them they're doing a good job with, but there are a few where they just kind of pooped it out again, and it's already been on Blu-ray, and they just wanted to rebrand it with the 100th Anniversary logo, and so it lo- it, it's like they didn't really put an effort into it. They, they just figured we're just going to try and, you know, Juice a few more sales out of the new logo, but in this case, they really, really went to town. Very, very nice. Well, first of all, very nice. You know, Jaws again. It's 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 an older film it's from 1975. It's considered to have started the blockbuster era. Blah blah yeah. blah. But the thing about so the story of Jaws tends to get wrapped up into that. 
but yeah. the one thing you have to remember about Jaws mm-hmm. is that it is an effing great movie. Oh, it's, it is. It is a great movie. movie. But we have to also remember the first cut of this movie was presumably a disaster. And it took Verna Fields coming in to save Spielberg's butt and essentially launch him onto the career that he has had ever since. And uh, Verna Fields was, you know, I mean, that's, that's an amazing editor to walk in and look at a film that is just a complete disaster. Everyone's going to lose their shirt. Careers are going to be murdered. Money will be just be, the studio is going to lose millions of dollars. And this one woman walks in, looks at the footage and says, yeah, I can make this work. And it becomes the most successful film in history. And literally launches the blockbuster era. I mean, we can give Spielberg a lot of credit because it does have good performances and some great moments and so forth. But by all accounts, this movie was not working until Verna Fields sat down in the editing room and took scissors to it and made it what it is. Verna Fields and John Williams were the two elements that put this thing way over the top. And what the great thing about the Blu-ray is that the Blu-ray, Jaws would be worth watching anyway and worth buying now this moment on Blu-ray, but one of the Blu-ray exclusives is The Shark is Still Working. Now, The Shark is Still Working is a great, it's newish, it's new to, definitely new to Blu-ray, mm-hmm. documentary about the making of the film. Yep. And it is warts and all because Jaws had a, as Wade alluded to a little bit, Jaws has a very, very, very famous, uh, had a very famous torturous birth. Uh, the shooting of it was a disaster. Robert Shaw was drunk all the time. The shark never worked. All that sort of stuff. And there was a, it's a great documentary, the, the Shark is Still Working, that I'm very glad they finally uh, managed to get onto a DVD, or in this case a Blu-ray. Very much like Hearts of Darkness is a great documentary about Apocalypse Now that finally wound up on the Apocalypse Now uh, Blu-ray, I believe. Didn't it? Um, yes, I think so. It is, right? Isn't, yeah, it, isn't, isn't Hearts so. of Darkness on the Apocalypse Now Blu-ray? I think it is. Anyway, so this thing is a must-buy. A must, 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 must-buy. You know, back in 2007, in the early What's days... What's the other of, film I'm, I'm going to get all orgasmic about? I'm getting there. Back in 2007, <laughs> in the early days of Blu-ray, uh, almost almost uh, five years ago, Mark, there was a release to Blu-ray. It made a lot of people happy, but uh, it wasn't a perfect Blu-ray. And they have redone it Escape from New York? No, no. Um, We now have a spanking new, beautiful, fantastic uh, digipacky Blu-ray book version of Full Metal Jacket. Wow. Yeah, baby. Wait a second. Oh, yeah. How'd that happen? Uh, I don't know how that happened, but it comes with a 40-page book. Yeah, the usual Blu-ray book thing. It's thicker than most of these Warner Blu-ray book deals. And uh, I got to tell you, this is a totally new digital brand spanking fantastic release of uh, Full Metal Jacket that is just, it will redefine this movie for you. It is gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the, the sound, fantastic. All of those songs, the sound in this movie. In fact, if you watch this in 5.1 or 7.1, it will blow you away. You, you just don't realize until you watch it in the home environment how intensely well thought the mix of this film is. It's really extraordinary. Absolutely incredible. Uh, commentary here that includes, you know, a lot of people who, who, I mean, it's basically the same one that you had before. Uh, featurette uh, of Full Metal Jacket Between Good and Evil. And on the commentary, of course, you know, Adam Baldwin, Vincent Onofrio, Arlie Ermey, uh, Jay Cox, who's a screenwriter and a uh, film critic. 
And, um, you know, you have the one-hour documentary, Stanley Kubrick's Boxes. It is, um, and, and photos, actually. You know, Matthew Modine wrote his uh, Full Metal Jacket Diaries book not long ago and has made some of the photos from his, uh, his private collection available on this as well. So, uh, you know, but ultimately, you're not getting this for the extras. You're getting this for the picture and for the sound and for the just raw, brilliant, genius Kubrickness of it. It is just not to be believed how good this is. Go and get your, uh, take, and two discs, by the way. Go and take your previous Blu-ray, sell it back, hawk it, use it for uh, clay pigeons, whatever, but you've got to get the brand-new Full Metal Jacket. It is gorgeous and spanking fantastic. Um, we've also got a quartet of films here from uh, the Paramount uh, Library that are being released by Olive. And I'll go through these real quickly because we do want to have some time for our, uh, our final um, Vox Box. But uh, both of these have... Uh, here's what's common on these. Abraham Polanski wrote both of them, directed one of them, and they both feature John Garfield, a uh, forgotten but really good kind of tough guy, noirish actor who, uh, who was really a big star in his day, and I don't know why his popularity is, is not sort of sustained. The first one is Body and Soul, which was written by Polanski, of course, one of the great blacklisted writers of all time, and uh, directed by Robert Rossin, the great Robert Rossin, the hustler, you know. Uh, Rossin just knew how to make great hard-boiled movies, and this is from 1947. Feels kind of like a 1950s film. It uh, it's it's really really it, it great you know boxing plot with uh, uh, Garfield as a as a you know a, title, a prize fighter and you know all of the all of the nasty stuff that goes along with that. Incredible photography by James Wong Howe, one of the great uh, cinematographers of all time. The other film is John Garfield in Force of Evil, which Polanski uh, wrote and directed, or rather co-wrote and directed. And, uh, you know, this actually shows you much more the range that Garfield had. This is just one of those really, really cool uh, film noirs that uh, has been so influential in the years since. And uh, Garfield is, uh, you know, uh, an attorney who is a little bit tainted. And uh, he's been hooked up with a racketeer and uh, this, you know, these numbers runners and things just go wrong. And all of those fantastic uh, elements of noir show up here. You got Marie Windsor, who's just a terrific femme fatale. It's a really, really sharp film. And uh, this was made the uh, following year, 1948. So those are cool. And then two others from uh, this same Olive uh, release is John Ford's Rio Grande with John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. Always a wonderful pairing. Love them both. This includes uh, The Making of Rio Grande, hosted by our good friend Leonard Malton, who is, uh, we were in the elevator with just the other day, weren't we? Or were you were with we? me? No, I was with him. You weren't. This was originally from the Republic Library, of course, wound up with Paramount, and now is getting released by Olive, since uh, nobody else seems to actually have any faith in this. But this is one of those great John Ford, John Wayne movies. Uh, in this case, you know, the uh, Wayne is leading the cavalry over to the Rio Grande to, uh, you know, take out the... Take out them damn red, red, red skin engines. Not politically correct in the least, but it's just so well made. And then lastly, we got Joan Crawford in a Nicholas Ray film. The name is the, Nicholas Ray is such an underrated uh, director, by the way. You know, Rebel Without a Cause that and King true. of Kings. He just never really got his, his due. Uh, made some great films, but nobody kind of considers him an auteur in the, in the way that they should. But this is Joan Crawford in Johnny Guitar, which has an unbelievable cast. Um, I, I always forget how amazing some of these casts were because so many of these people would go on to bigger careers after they make these movies and some of these people were sort of on the tail end of their careers when they made the movie this is 1954 so you know Joan Crawford is uh, you know is sort of on the tail end of her career uh, or at least getting close Sterling Hayden kind of uh, just getting rolling uh, Mercedes McCambridge 
Ben Cooper, Ernest Borgnine, John Carradine on the tail end of his. I mean, just that's an amazing bunch of people in one movie. And uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, this is really a pretty great, uh, a pretty great vehicle for Joan Crawford. She, didn't, uh, she wasn't really known as a Western icon. She was more of a noir icon. But uh, this, is a, this is an unusual role for her, and she handles it really nicely. And Sterling Hayden is just great, really, really good. So um, I've mentioned before, my mother was almost Sterling Hayden's nanny. Haven't I mentioned that? Wait, your mother was almost Sterling Hayden? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um... Yeah, yeah, you do what? that. Do that. Wait, you know what? Some people love uh, Star Wars, <laughs> right? Yeah, some people do, and uh, some people love Mel Brooks. Other people, see, some people love Darth Vader. Other people love Dark Helmet. Oh. Some people love Princess Leia. Other yeah. people, Princess Vespa. Yeah. Now, there are some people out there who love uh, Chewbacca. Other people love Barf. I'm just saying. Other, some people love Han Solo. There are others who love Lone Star. It's played by Bill Pullman in Spaceballs. Yes. It's unbelievable. 25th anniversary of Spaceballs. This is kind of the last uh, decent Mel Brooks comedy. Uh, kind of. You know, I mean, I, I mean, the Robin Hood, de- the Robin Hood thing, I wasn't very funny. And, but um, anyway, so this... DVD is a uh, quite nice looking, I guess. Well, it, it, there's a bunch it, of special features on it. If you're into that, I don't think this is a different transfer. I mean, this this is this seems to be basically the same deal that I have in the um, the com- complete Mel Brooks Blu-ray set. Well, that's the thing. If, if it's just they're just one-offing it. So it's, if you have if you have the set, I don't know any reason to upgrade to this. I mean, this has come out on Blu-ray before, and obviously this is the 25th anniversary special. So this supposedly, you know, the last one, the last. Um, version didn't have a lot of great extras this one has a lot better extras on it but i will say that you know if you do want to own this you're probably better off just buying that super big mel brooks blu-ray box set which is great great because there really was no reason to remaster this no you know but there was look there's a commentary track there's a there's a feature on john candlelight john candy which is great there is a cool thing called the exhibitor trailer, which Mel Brooks had used to sort of sell the film to theater owners. That I kind of liked. Um, there's a documentary on the making of the film. But in the end, I think really you're probably better off with either one of the original ones or um, with uh, the box set. You know, but it's, sure. you know, it's, it's a good looking transfer. There's nothing wrong with this transfer. It's, you know, comedies, generally speaking, are not... You know, that well shot. I mean, they're no. well shot, but comedies, generally speaking, are really not known for, uh, you know, d- for Blu-ray greatness. But this one looks good. It's a 1080, 1080p transfer, so it looks nice. Uh, so it's a, good looking, it's a good looking movie, but in the end, either you're laughing or you're not. Um, I think the film is funny. It's the last decent film Mel Brooks did. It's available elsewhere on Blu-ray. Uh, if you love the film, go for this because of the extras. If not, just stick with what you have. All right, Mark, it's, uh, you know what it's time for. Well, well, oh, do I sing the song? Go ahead, sing the song. Hey, Mark and Wade. This is Kyle from Philadelphia. My question this week is, why is it that upscale hotels have uh, on-demand videos that contain movies that are either still in the theater or that aren't in the theater but haven't been released on Blu-ray or DVD yet. 
Uh, also, are there any services that are available to the home consumer that are like this? If not, why? Um, and do you ever see a time when I'll be able to watch a movie at home on demand, day and date that it's released in the theater? Uh, I would gladly play 25 or even $30 just to be able to watch a new release at home on my own theater. Great question from Kyle Stevens, um, and uh, here's the short answer to that. Uh, the reason is because hotels desperately want to have, want to be able to advertise things that make them special, and uh, they pay a lot of money to have an exclusive right to certain films, to certain companies, and to have a window with it, within which they can do that. Uh, it makes people, when they travel, think, oh, wow, I'm going to go to that hotel because then I'll be able to catch that movie and not leave the hotel. So it draws you to the hotel. So those services are not made available at home because, you know, the, the hotels pay a huge amount. And because if, it, if they were available at home, it would really, really crimp the business of the theaters. The theaters are willing to let the hotels slack because it's not, you know, monetarily, it doesn't draw a lot from the theaters, but it means a lot to the hotels. Well, the thing is that if you're... If you're at a hotel, that means you're on vacation. Yes. If you're on vacation, you're probably not going to see a movie. Right. Right. Because you're on vacation, you're going to go to Disneyland or wherever. Yeah. So it's not like the ho- it's not like the theaters feel like they're losing a lot of money. Yeah. So the money they make up for by the fact that the hotel sure. pays for the right to be part of the second window. Yes. Now the way films are released and the way they go through the, go through the system is it's like a window system. Yeah. First window would be the the movie theater. Second window is like. You know, pay-per-view and, and smaller theaters, third run might be cable, four, yeah. I mean, a, a fourth window might be a DVD, fifth window might be broadcast, whatever it is. So the hotels, the studios get something out of it because they get a lot of money from the hotels, and the hotels are catering to people who wouldn't see the movie anyway because yep. they're on vacation staying at a hotel. Yeah, and and as far as getting a service like that at home for you know twenty five dollars or whatever, a lot of people want to do that. You know, they, this is the whole idea behind premium VOD, and uh, which, by the way, has disappeared. Which is, is it has disappeared, but you know there are still a lot of movies that show up VOD before they show up in theaters. Now, I mean, there's a, there are a lot of a lot of Magnolia films have done that. Um, a lot of IFC films have been doing that, and um, it's it's a model that I think is here to stay for certain films. But the pressure from the theaters is just not going to let that happen because theaters don't want to go out of business. And they do have a lot of leverage with the studios. The theaters can really exert an enormous amount of pressure um, because their, their split of the movies is, you know, has, in, has decreased and the amount of time that movies stay in theaters has decreased. So they're not really getting their money's worth anymore. So, uh, you know, we're going to continue to see that battle evolve, but I don't, I don't think it's going to become a widespread phenomenon that you, you know, can see any movie that's in theaters at home on the same day and date that it opens in theaters. That I don't see happening for everything. It'll happen for some, but not for everything. Like Avengers 2. Avengers 2? Yeah. When it comes out in like 2015 It'll be like three bucks to watch at home the day before it opens in theaters. Yeah. Yeah, we wish. All right. With that, we are done. We will see you guys next week. We'll have a lot more fun to go. And hopefully with the Olympics out of the way, we can uh, people will start releasing like real movies again. Start getting some big what? titles out there. Jaws. Not a big. Royal yeah, Tenenbaums. Full know, Metal Jacket. They're, they are catalog releases. New movies. New movies. New movies. We need, we need uh, you know, the new stuff. Movies? What are movies? I don't know. <laughs>